Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have what I'm going to be calling a pro edition of The Deciding Point. This is something we started this past summer. I had so much fun monitoring all the results throughout the course of the past few months from the countless players with college tennis ties competing in the pro tennis world each and every week. I had so much fun that I've decided it's time to take this podcast global. I suppose, or at least bring it to our weekly schedule. We're going to try to do these pro editions of The Deciding Point each and every week moving forward. As again, every week, someone new with college tennis ties is putting up big results, whether it be at the tour level, at the challenger level, or of course, at the countless ITF events that happen each and every week around the globe. It's impossible to follow them all on your own. We figured, hey, it's our job here at Cracked Rackets to make you your lives a little bit easier as tennis fans. So again, we have decided to bring this podcast to a now weekly format, a pro edition of The Deciding Point set for all of you listeners here on today's show. And joining me to help talk through all the results to help me monitor everything each and every week is a man you all know best as one of our interns here at Cracked Rackets, hosts of The Counterpunch here on the Great Shot Podcast feed. It's my dear friend, Archit Suresh, joining me on the show for my first time with him, Archit. That's not true. You joined us during NCAAs, but this is a more formal appearance. So, hey, great. Great shot. Welcome, my friend. How are you doing tonight? You know what, Gruskin? I am doing fantastic. Been catching up with all the regional action we've been watching over on the college tennis feed. So excited to dip my toe into some of the pro stuff with you this week. Yeah, first of all, it's Mr. Gruskin to you, but I'll let it slide yeah, yeah, first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are pretty old, so I should yeah, be hey, Damn straight I am. That's what I figured. Um, no, again, I appreciate you joining us. I appreciate all you have done as part of our Crack Rackets team. And again, I'm looking forward to getting to chat tennis with you each and every week, not just through this platform, but of course, it's worth noting, you are now officially a voter in our Crack Rackets top 10 poll each and every week in uh, as the college tennis dual match season begins. So again, Expect to hear more from Archit over the course of the next few months and throughout the course of the 23-24 college tennis season. That said, you mentioned regionals. That's something John Parsons and I will cover on tomorrow's show. Today, we're focusing on the pro circuit. And again, the countless results produced by players with college tennis ties in the pro tennis world. I'm curious, as a fan, did this feel like a homework assignment to you or is this something you're doing frequently anyways? I mean, to be fair, I was going to do it anyways, so now I just get to talk about it with you. I don't know if I can be considered an average tennis fan, though. That's that's fair. You are an intern at Cracked Rackets. I guess, again, it's tricky because with the ITF world, it's hard to watch a lot of these matches. Now, again, thankfully, with the Challenger circuit, you get live streams for just about every Challenger event, and certainly the higher-level WTA 125s, 250s, all ATP tour-level events as well, you're going to get broadcast for that. But again, we've scrolled through the results. If we miss anyone, singles-wise, doubles-wise, I apologize for that. Blame Archit. It's his job to make sure no names fall through the cracks. But again, I'm really excited to have you here, buddy. Really excited to start the show. And I'll tell you what, we brought you on on the right week. We certainly picked a good one to begin doing these weekly as there's only one place to start. 
it's the place it feels like we so frequently start these shows where we're looking at pro results from players with college tennis ties of late. And that, of course, is the maiden tour-level title run of 2022 NCAA singles champion, 2021 NCAA team champion, Ben Shelton. He does it again. This time, it's a title run in Tokyo, not just a title for him, his first at the tour level, but a 500-level title, Archit, for Ben Shelton. And look, was it the most difficult draw? No, not really. To face Aslan Karatsev in a 500-level final, I think that's about the most you can hope for. Certainly, his quarterfinal win over Tommy Paul to make it two in a row over the fellow American it's a significant moment. I think uh, Jay pointed it out on Twitter. He's the first player to leave college and win an ATP Tour title in the first 18 months since leaving, since someone in the early 90s. I'm, I apologize. I'm blanking out who it was from Stanford. But look, obviously a significant moment for Ben Shelton in what has been a year, a three-year run of significant moments for the 21-year-old American where do you rank this amongst his accomplishments, Archid, and what was your takeaway from this? Well, first of all, what I do want to say is my job is to fix in everything that you forget. The name was Dan Goldie from Stanford. <laughs> this is uh, why we have – can I just say, Archit, you're doing wonderfully in your first yeah, time. And it, and it was, it was actually, yeah, it was actually the late 80s, Gruskin. Uh, it's it's yeah. all the same, pre-Alex. Yeah. Yeah, post Alex is kind of all the same too. But <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Um, you know that's a good question. I would say when it comes to Ben, I would go with it's up there with the slam runs for me. Certainly up there with the three consecutive challenger wins that he posted last year. But I'm gonna go with. You know, what? I, I, I'm going to say it places almost at the top of my list just because of the fact that what we've wanted to see from Brent Ben throughout this whole entire year was consistency week to week to week. Now, I don't know if you can just take this tournament in isolation, but what he's done post US Open on this Asian swing has certainly been a development. I mean, he's now a top 15 player. He's shown that he has that sustained level of physical and mental intensity. He can withstand all of that while traveling on his first full year of tour. So I would, I would go with that. Yeah. So I want to agree with you. First of all, I would put the second, I think the U S open runs more impressive, not only because it followed up what he did in Australia, but to beat Tommy and Francis, two of his American peers back to back in New York of all places. I mean, Come on now. And then, you know, again, played a competitive match. Djokovic mocks him at the end of that match. It shows that he was, to some extent, at least making Djokovic somewhat nervous or thinking about other things. But I put this second. I put this above what we saw at the Australian Open. And I think you have to put it above all of his challenger success last season. You look at what he actually did in Australia. And it's funny, in retrospect, wins over Zheng Zhizhen, Nicholas Yari, Alexi Popperin, and J.J. Wolf. All really impressive wins. You know, three of those four yeah. players are now in the top 50. And the one that's not is J.J. Wolf, which at the time was the most impressive victory in his run. And yet, to beat Tommy the way that he did, decisively in straight sets and to display the physicality. I mean, if you want to hear my extended thoughts on what I thought he did so well tennis-wise, go listen to the mini breaks last week. I talked about it extensively. There is just a newfound physicality, a patience, a shot tolerance to Ben that he used to be able to do in college when the ball 
when no one could hit it harder than him. But it feels like over the last month and a half, the game has slowed down for the 21-year-old. And that is a scary prospect because he can always speed it up. To beat Tommy, to be down a set and a double break to a Marcos Giron, who was playing so freaking well. And I don't want to leave, by the way, what the former 2014 NCAA singles champion, you know, I don't want to leave him short in this conversation because it was his fourth career tour-level semifinal, keeps him in the top 60 probably to end the year rankings, and that just sets up everything he wants to do. Australia, Middle East, or Mexico, or, you know, Indian Wells, Miami. He's probably getting in to all those events into the main draw on his own ranking. That's what a run as a qualifier like this does for someone like Giron. But Ben comes back in that match from a set and double breakdown. Someone who has been one of the five worst returners through the first nine months of the season. He's just not anymore, Archid. And I wonder if you've noticed those tangible different. Like, the weapons are the same, but it just feels like there's a rally tolerance now. Like, he, it feels like he has gotten better, not just the results getting better spontaneously. And I think that's the main thing. Like, Obviously, people talk about the importance of him putting together the wins and the results, but you can clearly see the development in the game to where he's now returning at a pace where things seem much more comfortable to him. He's not bailing out early in rallies, weathering, trying, he's trying to weather the storm from back in the court, starting with just putting the return back in play from pretty far back in the court. And he's, he's done a really good job of it. I would say the one thing that, Maybe he was lacking. Well, there were a couple of things lacking with, with regards to rally tolerance, especially with the pace absorption on the forehand and maybe the ability to get as many returns back in play. Now that he's cleaned that up, it doesn't really feel like there's as big of a hole for others to exploit. And he seems like he's playing at his own speed now. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And you mentioned it, 15 in the world rankings. Not only are there four Americans in the top 15 for the first time since 97, He's the highest-ranked player in the ATP singles rankings with college tennis ties. He just turned 21. You know, move over Isner Anderson as the example. We could have a runway uh, of a decade where Ben's the prime example that people continue to turn to. And what a great thing that will be for the game because I'll ask you. I don't. I mean, I don't know if we've ever had this conversation. When you look at Ben's ceiling, what do you think? You're going to put me on record here, but... I think it's slam champion. Like ceiling, ceiling. I'm not saying that he's going to do it. And I'm not, we've had this conversation or any tennis fan has had this conversation who follows American tennis. Like we do is that the question that's been asked to guys like Francis Taylor and Tommy is, are you going to win one? Are you going to win one? It's, you know, it's been a while since Andy Roddick won at the U S open. What I will say is I think it's, it's one of Ben or Corda who, to me, has the ceiling to break that barrier. So I think they have clearly surpassed the Fritz-Paul-Tiafo trio in terms of conversation of ceiling, which is crazy because those guys are all top 13 players in the world, um, or 15. I don't know where Tiafo 14 maybe right now. Tiafo's 15, yeah, Ben's 14. But the way Ben has continued to improve, you're absolutely right. And obviously, I would put Cordo's made semis in four of his last six events now. I know he lost early this week, but still... Like it Month is of January. It is crazy. Again, there are, I'm sure, north of 10 Americans right now in the top 100 of the rankings. I know there are 14 players with college ties in the top 100 of the ATP singles rankings, 38 doubles players right now. And we'll get to those doubles results here in a second. But again, 
Former NCAA champions, Ben Shelton, Marcos Giron, into the semifinals or further of this event. For Marcos, given the injuries, he went and coached at UCLA while having to rehab because that's how unhealthy he was. To see him have this three-year run, dare I say, almost qualify for a pension on the ATP Tour. Three years, top 75, you do it. He's close to it. He, I, he's going to finish another year, top 75. What a run it's been uh, for Marcos and Again, for Ben, both NCAA singles champions and yet another one, Mackie McDonald, winning a match at this event as well. A former number one, Cam Norrie, in the draw two. Sarundalo, sure, in the draw also. You look at the double side of things in Tokyo, which is where I think we have to move next. Ties for all the finalists, or not all the finalists, but each of the pairings with Michael Venus, obviously formerly of LSU, and Jamie Murray get knocked out in the finals by Rinki Hijikata and Max Purcell. Of course, the year started with a bang when Rinki Hijikata, seemingly out of nowhere, captures that Australian Open doubles title, uh, I believe, with Purcell. And, you know, you look at that duo right now. They're currently sitting, let's see, after that title run. Yeah, there's, oh no, he won it with Kupler, excuse me, not Purcell. But that's another big title for Rinki Hijikata, who's sitting, you know, inside the top 50 of the doubles rankings, inside the top 100 of the singles rankings as well. You know, you had uh, Aravelo, Roger in the semis, you had Lamins and Withrow in the semis as well, and that duo has made such a fun push towards the year-end finals. They're right on the bubble right now, sitting in 10th, but 80 points behind 8th place Murray and Venus with 500-level action this week, Paris next week, so that race is coming down to the finish line, Art shit. I mean, again, you look at all these top teams, number one in the world. Krejcik and Dodik, Krejcik went to college, Kulhoff and Skupski, Skupski, you know, again, Further down the list, Raman Salisbury, who just won the U.S. Open, Murray and Venus, Lamins and Withrow, Zelinsky and Nice. It's everywhere. We saw another big week in Tokyo. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show that if you play elite doubles, there's a high chance you played college tennis, yeah. right? And maybe that is just the emphasis on the doubles point For and sure. the development of volleys and technique in the college game right now, but... It's pretty clear that, I mean, you look at a guy like Robbie Cash, he could probably walk into the top 100 of doubles rankings right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I know. It, again, it's tough to say otherwise. And again, a credit to, uh, to excuse me, I'm blank, on Ranky Hijikata, Max Purcell taking the title in Tokyo. That wasn't our only big ATP result, and we'll just stick on the ATP tour side of things for now. It's been a career season for Yana Kaufman, the former All-American for UNC, into another quarterfinal this past week. I mean, again, you take it if you're Hoffman, who's currently sitting at 47 in the live rankings. Number fifth seed, multiple quarterfinals this year. He's done it on multiple surfaces, played a fun match with Paz. Obviously, we all saw the fun match with Murray yesterday. It's been a career year for him. You had King and Stalder, who have both become top 100 doubles players, making the quarterfinals. Andreas Meese, another guy with college ties. He was a quarterfinalist. I believe that rounded out all of your college ties in Antwerp. But thoughts on those results, uh, Archit? Well, I, I, I mean, I want to talk about Yannick. <laughs> The fact that he's he's winning two matches and he's into the quarterfinals of these events is just, it's such a bonus, right? Considering where he's come from and how far he's had to grind just to get to this point, it, it feels like a massive win for him. Obviously, he's now an established player on tour and that just speaks volumes to the level that he's brought. I mean, the match against Murray, 
last week. I know we all saw the outrageously long first set, and those are the numbers we'll focus on. But it's tough beating guys like Andy Murray in the first round, and he's just doing it consistently, right? So nothing more on that, but just absolutely phenomenal run for Yannick. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, then with that in mind, let's move over to Stockholm now. Nothing too crazy here. J.J. Wolf wins a match. That's your only singles victory. You did have Julian Cash, formerly of Oklahoma State, and I believe Mississippi State maybe as well, making the finals. Robert Galloway, a semifinalist there. Uh, I think he had a couple other college ties in the quarters as well. Curious what you make of J.J. Wolf's season, Archid. Again, has it? he starts the year off with the round of 16, obviously, in Australia. And yes, he lost to Ben, but that result aside, round of 16 at a major, a significant result for J.J. Wolf in his career, enters the week 59 in the rankings. He's 29-25 and 25 overall on the season. He's made five different tour-level quarterfinals, one on each surface for what it's worth. What would you rate it? Give it a grade. I I'd give it a B minus. Okay. I think you know what I'll scratch that. I'll try, I'll change it to a B. I feel like I'm being a little harsh with the minus. I just feel like this year's about solidity for JJ. And he's solidified his status in the top 50, 40 of the rankings. And now it just, I th- I thought I mean I got the chance to see him up close in Atlanta where he reached the semifinals, gave Taylor Fritz a real blow up, real battle in that match. I, I just think it's a matter of time. I really do. I, I feel like at some point we're just going to get to a tournament where JJ walks up and his weapons, his physicality, what he does, the way he just plants himself on the baseline and asserts himself in whatever match he's playing in. Is, I just think it's a matter of time before he continues to rise up and up in the rankings and just continues to improve. I I don't really know what the ceiling is with JJ Wolf. It's not as high as a guy like Ben's, but I don't, I don't, I really don't think this is the ceiling. Yeah, it's just his weapons. He has that ability to play on his terms. The slice serve, add side, T, the forehand, obviously, when he's connecting. It doesn't matter what surface is on. When he's connecting, it's just difficult to deal with. Now, he's just not the most fluid mover. He's just not. In and out of the corners, you can get him stretched. But again, when he is dictating, if you can't handle that pace, he will be on you from the start. And, I think I'd go B plus, like 29-25 overall, five quarterfinals across surfaces, 14-10 and 10 in first matches at events. I think the ceiling is about, you know, again, I think 30-50 to 50 is about where he should fall in the rankings. That feels about right, and he's going to end a little bit outside of that, but I think it was a solid year for J.J. Wolf. Again, certainly he is a top 100 player, and... You know, again, that means you're making a living. That means you've got a real career rocking and rolling on the tour. So those were all of your ATP results. I want to move over to the tour level side of things for the women now because, you know, as much as we've talked about Ben Shelton, we've certainly talked about Diana Schneider, the former NC State All-American, now uh, one of six teenagers inside the top 100 of the WTA rankings and, look, makes another tour-level semifinal here uh, in the back half of her season. And, you know, again, considering for Diana Schneider, she did play four months of college tennis for her to not only be a top 100 player in the world, for her to now be sitting at 60 in the live rankings. You know, you have Stearns at 47, Navarro at 41 as well, three players who've all played college tennis in the last 18 months. 
What's your thoughts on the Schneider ceiling? What do you think about this result for her? Again, semifinals in Nanchung, wins over Zvonareva, Ju Lin before ultimately getting knocked, uh, Hibino before getting knocked out by Boshkova. Well, I, w- I don't think anything Diana Schneider could do at this point surprises me be- just because of the fact that when she was playing in college tennis, she was already a top 100 player in the WTA rankings. But, I mean, once again, it just goes to show the level of what college tennis can provide for a player like Diana Schneider, who had faced her own struggles playing. It's not like she went undefeated, but I, I just think, I just think it's just been a phenomenal end to the season for Diana Schneider. I think she's poised for a breakout next year, playing her full year on tour, getting to go start to finish. She gets a full off season to train the ceiling. The ceiling is what you make of it. I'm going to go. I th- I think I think she's going to be a top 20 player. No doubt. It I there's some marginal stuff that could be could be reworked, but we'll see. The weapons are just so real. I mean again, her ability to put pace on the forehand, heaviness on that ball, the top spin ability to get outside the ball, her ability to drive through the backhand, the willingness to press forward into the court, even if the volleys aren't 100% there yet. But good week for her in doubles as well. I, I think she, her and Osorio win a match there uh, over Hartono. I forget who she was playing with. But yeah, I mean, she's made three different tour-level finals, one on clay, two on hard court since leaving college, all at the tour level, 60 in the world. I mean, and has done it primarily in four months of play like that that's incredible and it speaks to the runway she's created for herself again it's when not if she's a top 50 player she's got a good first step like she's not a bad mover she's a little struggles getting out of corners but she's pretty good getting into them <laughs> um i like her vertical quickness it's the horse i mean again i i like everything i see i like the leftiness of it all I think she can be a top 30 player. Again, the physicality it requires to be top 20 now in the women's game and the weapons some of these players have. I don't think Schneider can't get there, but I need to see a little bit more. I want to see a full year of tour-level play. Uh, but again, you have to be encouraged by what you've seen from the start. And look, that was, I would say, your most significant tour-level result of the week for uh, any players with college ties on the women's side. You did have uh, Lilia Jean-Jean make the finals uh, in Cluj-Napoca in doubles, ultimately knocked out by Barrage and Teichman. So that's a big result and someone we've seen have ITF success uh, over the past couple of months. But, you know, again, I would say the headline, as always, Diana Schneider. And yeah, I mean, again, her Navarro Stearns, it's crazy. I, I was there. I called many of them in the all of their NCAA matches. I did. Not like, oh, I watched them. No, 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 no. I called them. Well, and I they're already them. this successful. Yeah, it just speaks to the level. Again, it's remarkable to watch them all experience success. That said, let's rapid fire through the rest of these challenger ITF results. I'll start on the ITF women's side with you. Let's begin there. Who stood out to you most? What are the results you'd circle, Archit? Well, maybe not the one that stood out to me the most, but one that I, I really enjoyed was Oklahoma State fifth year, Ayumi Miyamoto, winning the title in Jackson. Uh, beats her teammate, Lucia Perez. I, I just, to me, that's just, it just goes to show that Oklahoma State's all in this year, right? Yeah. Hosting NCAA championships, you can bet that they'll they're going to be one. They're going to want to be competing at that final site. Excuse me, 
they've got a real team and I think we should all be a little, little, little wary of what's going on there. Yeah, no, I think that, um, hundred percent has to be the takeaway. Again, these are two players who you don't expect to play top three. I mean, maybe you'll see, uh, Lucia pair, but you know, certainly Miyamoto was five last season winning the title here and they bring in an Anastasia Komar or Sophia Carrington, who, you know, Komar, what just won the backdraw at all Americans or lost in the final of it. And, uh, yeah, uh, how could you not be impressed by this sort of result? And across the board, Carolina Gomez-Alonso coming from the quarterfinals of All-Americans. She makes the quarterfinals here. Three set loss to Miyamoto. Uh, you had Carolyn Ansari, semifinalist at this. She beat George San- Anya Hurdle in the quarterfinals. Lucia Pair again, finalist at this event. It was a, it was very fun to see the players who didn't have regionals competing at this 15K in Jackson, Tennessee, and obviously in doubles, certainly some results as well. Flack and Okatoye of Auburn, who had a doubles team, Bennett and Ovunk, I believe, make the semifinals of doubles or quarterfinals at the All-Americans. They make the finals in doubles here, uh, knocked out by Sue and Sajieva. I mean, look, again, that Auburn team's another one. Uh, you can list the pieces without even talking about their freshmen they've brought in. They have everyone back from last season's lineup, plus they bring back 2022 number one, Celine Ovunk. This team's going to be very good. Like, this is the year. And it, I've been talking with some coaches because we have our preseason top 10 coming out, our shit. The SEC is so good on the women's side. This is the year where after the ACC has dominated. And by the way, the ACC is still going to be very, very good this year. But after a three-year run of ACC dominance, the SEC this year with A&M and Georgia and Florida and Auburn and, you know, again, Vanderbilt, what they have on paper as well as a really, really talented women's team. The SEC women are going to be very, very, very good this year, Archid. And this event, I know Oklahoma State in singles, we talked about, again, they're going to be awesome too. They might be the favorites right now in the Big 12 with a very good Texas and, again, very good Oklahoma squads coming in. And yet, maybe you like Oklahoma State on paper better than most. But I just keep thinking that SEC is going to be real good. Yeah, it'll be, I mean, it'll be an intriguing watch. Yeah, I agree. All right, what else stood out to you? Hmm. Let's see here. Well, if we're gonna, I, one thing that really stood out to me, shifting over to the men's side, was obviously Gab Diallo's run in yeah. Bratislava. Sure, I like that absolutely. All right, then can I rapid fire through the women's real quick? Yeah, why don't All you? Right. Yeah, okay, we'll get there because Carol Zhao, shout out Stanford, semifinalist at the hundred k in Shenzhen. Big big result for her. My favorite, Udis Chung, coming from Division Three, quarterfinalist there as well. Eighty k in Macon, Georgia. Uh, shout out to uh, McKenna Jones, who's had a really Really good year, both singles and doubles, approaching her at career highs. She makes a quarterfinal. Alexa Noel, the current Miami Redshirt Junior uh, semifinalist as well. Uh, excuse me, quarterfinalist at that event as well. But again, we saw Noel make the finals of the All-American a week ago. Now she's in the quarterfinals of an ADK. Good to see her healthy. Again, playing extraordinary tennis. I thought those two stood out for me. Shout out to Liz, uh, Isabel Boulay, semifinalist at a 60K in Canada. You had Maddie Sieg make the quarterfinals there. Former UCLA number one, Robin Anderson as well. Uh, and Chisa Chanta, former Oklahoma player, 
quarterfinalists out of 15K in Hua Hin. You had Kupris making the finals with Svensson uh, at the 60K in Canada in doubles. They were knocked out by Robin Anderson and Delana Hewitt. So shout out to Robin Anderson taking a title. Uh, you had a couple other doubles quarterfinalists, I believe, as well on my list. No other title winners. I don't think I missed anything, did I? Not on my list, no. Okay, if I did, we'll hear about it in the comments later. Let's yeah. move on now to the men's side. Talk me through Diallo, other things that stood out to you. Well, Diallo and Bratislava, the Canadian, beats Arthur Ferry of Stanford, beats Dominic Team, makes it all the way to the final, beats Martin Dam, makes the final, wins it 6-0-7-5 against Delure. Phenomenal run for him. He's just going to make a top 100 push. It's a matter of if. It's a matter of when, not if. It, the weapons are there. I love I love the forehand. I, the serve plus one is just, it's there. I don't know if there's a definitive pattern. Like, I don't know if he, where he decides to go with that first forehand, but I do know that it's going to go in and I know it's going to be effective. But yeah. I just like the weapons. I like the physicality. I like the athleticism. He's solid moving in and out of his corners. The lateral movement's pretty solid. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on Gab Diallo. Yeah, I, I have no problems with that. Well, the rapid fire through some more. Kovacevic wins a title last week, uh, two weeks ago, semifinalist this past week. He's top 110. He's knocking on the door of a top 100 debut. the former Illinois All-American in doubles. Benjamin Locke, uh, Ruben Statham, big result making the semifinals there. Colin Sinclair, uh, former Cornell standout quarterfinalist in Hamburg. Adam Walton making the quarterfinals there in, single, uh, in singles. You had former Baylor and Tennessee uh, uh, players, Jakob Schneider, Mark Walner making the semifinals, Adam Reese, at uh, Adam Reese, Hunt, Adam Walton, Hunter Reese making the quarterfinals there as well. Yeah, Diego Hidalgo, another semifinal for him at the challenger level in doubles. He continues to make a top 100 push. And then Andrew Harris, JP Smith, quarterfinalists at the challenger level. I think that's everything challenger. Any ITF things stand out for you or you want to hear my rapid fire? Well, really quick on Challenger, do we want to mention Nishesh Basavaretti making the final in Fairfield? Or? I believe that was a couple weeks ago. That was a couple so weeks it, ago? Okay. It's a little yeah. bit dated, but yes, we do want to mention that. Obviously, a significant result for him. Beat Mickelson, right? Yeah, beat Mickelson. Beat Adam Walton, too. I, yeah. Beat the GOAT, Stevie Johnson. Yeah, and again, yeah. That, it's a Stanford team that is fascinating because Ferry could hypothetically still come back. And if Ferry's back with Basavaretti and Banerjee, and Basing, and all these freshmen, Kang, etc. If even one Kang, of them, Rivera, play, they're they're legit. Well, what I'm hearing. I mean, said has has said Matt Stachowiak and Chris Hallyors every year we've done the show, and every year mm-hmm. I've fought them, and every year I let them win, and every year I'm proven correct. Although this year could be different because you're right on ta- on paper, this team is extraordinary. On paper, they're legit. Yeah, on paper right. they're legit. All right, you ready for the ITF rapid fire? Yeah, uh, Jake Fernley. Yeah, shout out Jake Fernley. Shout out Jake Fernley. Singles and doubles in Aldershot. Uh, Doubles with South Carolina's Connor Thompson. Yes, and they beat former Baylor Dartmouth standout Charlie Broom in that doubles final. Yeah, for this event, it was a really fun just quarterfinal field. You had Toby Samuel beating Paul Jubb, a couple of South Carolina All-Americans going head-to-head. Samuel 6-3 in the third there. Giles Hussey, former Tennessee standout, a semifinalist as well before getting knocked out by Fernley. But yeah, big week for Fernley, who obviously we haven't seen at any of the fall events, but 
Hey, he's winning pro titles. He's doing just fine over there. We also had Sebastian Fanislow, former Pepperdine All-American, knocking out Henrik Roca in the finals of a 25K. He was a title winner. Johannes Inglidson partnering with Simon Fruden to win a doubles 25K title. That might be the extent of our titles. No, we've got another one. How about at the 15K in Las Vegas, Angel Diaz, Johannes Monday. They knock out for former Florida Gators, uh, Andy Andrade, Will Grant. Uh, you also had the team of Maloney and Clark, semifinalists, Marks and Whitehouse, semifinalists as well. Not too shabby for the Tennessee boys, who, by the way, in what is a as good as the SEC women are, the men's side is wide open. It's a good result for Tennessee. Again, finding some doubles continuity early. Harper's not walking through that door. Walton's not walking through that door anymore, Archit. Yeah, you know what? I don't know what will be more entertaining, the SEC men's race or the SEC women's race. <sighs> it's a good question. They're both going to be very fun. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, again, it's certainly worth asking and something we will continue to monitor as well. But that was your Las Vegas action in doubles and singles. Semi-finalist Shinsuke Mitsui, adding to that Tennessee wealth of success. He makes a semi there. Former Tennessee player Luca Wiendemann, a quarterfinalist. You had Oklahoma's Alex Martinez, quarterfinalist. Florida's Andy Andrade, quarterfinalist. Tyson Kwiatkowski, the former NCAA singles champion, finalist at this event. Uh, Notre Dame rising sophomore Sebastian Domenko, a quarterfinalist. And Alex Rezeghi, currently a junior, might be committed to Stanford. Uh, he also makes the quarterfinals as well. Shout out to former UCLA player Carousel. He wins a 15K uh, in, I believe, Brazil. Not quite sure where it was, but uh, Felix Corwin, former Minnesota standout, a semifinalist at that event as well. You had Florida State's Aziz Dugas winning a title at a 15K in Monastir. Uh, and then I believe uh, we have a bunch of doubles and random success arches. Any thoughts on the title winners? I mean, no specific thoughts, but that's what I like to hear. Yeah. All right. Well, then we'll rapid fire down the home stretch. Skander Bansuri, I forgot him. He wins a title in doubles. Kikuchi Sale, semifinalist at that event. Nick Chapel, semifinals at a 25K event. A shout out to him. Sid Banthia, quarterfinals in doubles at that same event. Uh, you had Finn Reynolds reaching the finals of a. 25k doubles event ultimately knocked off in that final but shout out to the former Ole Miss standout Phil Henning knocked out 6-2 in the third in the final of a 15k Harrison Adams the former A&M standout also a semi-finalist there who else do we have Gabe DeCamps made a quarterfinal Patrick Zaraj into a semi-final and Zaraj into the finals of doubles at that same event that's all I've got for you Archit any final thoughts on all these results we saw over the past week well, I was going to say that's all, but... Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of these players are now back in school or they're getting ready for the next season. Yeah, and I, I think just what you mentioned, these are guys who didn't even... Well, a lot of these guys didn't even play at the top spot at their respective schools. Like, a guy like Phil Henning was... I mean, he was always at the top of the lineup, but again, it just goes to show the depth of what college tennis provides at this and like... It, it, it really is a joy just to see these players compete at the highest level on the pro tour yeah. week, week in, week out. There's just always someone new coming up and you love to see it. It's also fascinating to see the progress. You invest so much in these players for the years we have them in the college ranks. You want to see them succeed and, 
thankfully it feels like every week we see someone new doing exactly that. So again, that's where things stand. Now we will be back every week to break things down moving forward as well. We'll probably shoot for a Monday recording, Tuesday release, but be flexible, folks. Again, you know how things can be with our recording schedule here at Crack Rackets. That said, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout-out, as well, uh, to all of you listeners to tune in, not just here, but, of course, the Mini Break Podcast, Correct Interviews Podcast, and our YouTube channel. We always appreciate that. Hopefully, we'll have some players with college ties in the Norman Open this weekend, a futures event which we will be featuring on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. So be sure to tune in Saturday, Sunday, as we cover all of the championship weekend action. With that said, Archit, they can hear you on the counterpunch. Any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? No final thoughts. That's all, all for right. me. I like to hear. Well, then, for the fantastic Archit Suresh, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Archit, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.